0: Welcome to Hitting the Media, a political podcast that aims to be nonpartisan. And just like Uber drivers, don't expect us to stay on one side of the road because we're hitting the media. I'm your host Michael Boharnwa, and I am the co-host Philip Chappell. Okay, so first up, we're going to talk about DACA. Yeah, let's begin with DACA.
1: All right. Just so everybody knows uh, some stuff about DACA. Like it stands for Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals. It's not even a law. It was a um, executive order that was put in place. I think in twenty twelve, and the basic idea was to well deferred action to defer action to put it off so that um, the Obama administration they couldn't get they wanted the Senate to get a law through um, with immigration reform, but at that time the GOP was taking over more, in, in they had already taken over the House, I think they took over the Senate as well, and they were trying, and they were less, well they were pro-immigrant, but um, we were talking a little bit about it before we did the podcast about the gang of eight that tried yep. to put together the bill with Lindsey Graham. Do you want to just explain a little bit what about you, what you remember happened, and why? <clears throat> just to kind of get a context for what, what's been happening now.
0: Yeah, uh, I remember... I remember this bill. It was actually a big deal to me because, you know, we're, we're both very much moderates in a lot of ways. And so because the two of us are moderates, you know, we see the Republicans and Democrats needing to compromise on, on some things. And finally, the Republicans and the Democrats came to a compromise on something big, the DREAM Act in 2013. Right. There were eight sponsors to this bill. The sponsor who brought it to the floor was Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican from South Carolina. Now, listen to this list of co-sponsors. Dick Durbin, from Illinois, who's a Democrat. Senator Jeff Flake, a Republican from Arizona. Chuck Schumer, who is now the Senate Minority Leader, from New York. He's a, obviously a Democrat. Lisa Murkowski, the Republican from Alaska. Catherine Cortez Masto, from the Democrat from Nevada. Diane what is it, Feinstein? Feinstein. Feinstein from California, the Democrat. Uh, Ted Cruz's favorite woman in the Senate. <laughs> Kamala D. Harris, a Democrat from California.
1: Presidential from 2020 for the Democratic
0: Party. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear about that one. Cory Gardner, Republican from Colorado. Michael F. Bennett, Democrat from Colorado. And Bill Nelson, Democrat from Florida. So there's a lengthy list of Republicans and Democrats on this, and they couldn't get it passed because, well, John Boehner in the House didn't want to work with the Obama administration. All because, right. you know, you have to show your power once you once you take back the House.
1: Alright, I would like to say that. for I think it's interesting to me. That, that does to me sound like a Trump hit list. Like, those are all the people that Trump probably wishes he could kill in the Senate. Like, he hates Dick Durbin. I think Dick Durbin is the one that says that he heard Trump make the shithole comment, the alleged shithole comment about immigration, actually. And um, actually, he, Trump, and in the beginning, Trump hated Lindsey Graham. You remember when Lindsey Graham said the choice between Trump for president or Cruz for president is like the difference between dying by poison or getting shot with a gun? Like he just didn't oh, can see the options. Can I just yeah.
0: say this real quick? Listen, regarding the 2016 election, I know people want to say, oh, well, Trump colluded with Russia. Listen, it doesn't matter whether Russia was involved or not, okay? America chose to slit their wrists instead of having Hillary for president. Just want to say that. I personally, when I voted for Trump, said, I'm basically slitting my wrists. I'd rather slit my wrists than have a Hillary presidency, just like, you know, the majority of Americans not in the are major metropolitan areas like New York City, Los Angeles. Thought you
1: were aiming for the middle ground here.
0: Well, <laughs>
1: it, it is middle ground. I didn't first want to episode, vote for him.
0: First episode, five minutes in, we're slitting our wrists. <laughs> um, it, right. it is median because I don't, I don't like Trump, but I also don't like Hillary. All right.
1: Well. And I don't fun. really like Bernie. I don't see how we got on that. All right. Let me just. I was gonna say this about the way immigration has changed probably the freedom caucus had something to do with shutting down that bill uh the the gang of eight bill but I would say that or like Bush era because you remember All right. so this Mm -hmm. is interesting about immigration Reagan is the last president to give an amnesty he amnesty like in 87 2.9 million immigrants were just granted citizenship with the wave of a wand um and then, so that was obviously very pro-immigrant, pro-Hispanic, because most of those immigrants were Hispanic. Then, um, Clinton raised uh, visa numbers, increased immigration. Bush also wanted to do immigration reform, which meant in Bush immigration reform, immigration reform, comprehensive immigration reform, is normally a way of of being. It's like making reform that's pro-immigrant. That's the terminology they use. So Bush, I don't remember exactly his plan, but I remember in the State of the Union, he talked about, like, he verify, which is probably a, a bone giving to the right who were a little bit against immigration, but not totally. But he wanted to bring in, like, let's say, low-skilled workers, which is generally why, overall, the, the right, like the establishment... Republicans want to bring in immigrants, because they have historically, the ones that are tied up with the corporations, the Paul Ryans of the world, I mean, I don't know if he's tied with corporations, but the, the establishment types, um, they like to bring in low-wage workers because they want to pay low wages. So they, they might not want to give citizenship, but they do want to bring in workers on temporary visas or H-1Bs and be able to pay them less than they would have to pay. Uh, I don't a, know
0: if that's necessarily true. Remember that H-1B visa reform that they did it's like... It's not through yet. Which one? The one where they made it. When... Didn't they pass that? Where they were supposed to make it... Last year? Yeah. No, they didn't pass it. Really? Oh. I, I was under the impression they passed it. No,
1: they're talking about reforming H-1B. <laughs> um yeah. But normally, like, so, right, Republicans would want to bring in workers that they can pay less. And liberals, generally speaking, would want to bring in immigrants so they can get votes. Of course, in Reagan's era, most Hispanics were voting Republican anyway, because they, you know, they're more family values oriented. Yep. They're uh, also, I think that they identified probably more with uh like they weren't identifying themselves with black people the way I, in identity politics the way people of color are monolith nowadays mm-hmm. there wasn't that sense back then maybe uh, so they, they were more likely to vote for republicans and so they had them on both, they had to vote for republicans and they also would have them for um, low wages, but now the left sees them as good votes so they'll want to bring them in and um but now there's this other side, right? The populist side, which Trump represents, which Breitbart represents, um, but not just Breitbart and Trump. Like there's people even on the left, although it's a it's a smaller number, that want to bring down immigration, like lower the numbers of immigration or secure the border and things so, like this. So so this is
0: a new kind of a new development in I think to some extent in American politics. Do you want to raise immigration, lower immigration? What are your ideal numbers? Oh, well, we can get to that in a minute. I think we should talk a
1: little more about DACA. Well, I mean, it will come out because the four pillars will give us a chance to talk about that. Well,
0: let's tackle the four pillars.
1: All right, so Trump brings up the four pillars. Um, One, f- path to citizenship. All right, path to citizenship for the dreamers. There's three million dreamers. So And it's going to take, I think, 12 years in order for them to get citizenship. But <clears throat> right now, there was something called advanced parole, which is the way that some of them used as a loophole to get citizenship previously. And these are people who were um, born, they weren't born here, but they came here as minors and they were under 30 in 2012 when the law was passed. And they had the right to work and they couldn't be deported but they um, weren't given green cards. And if you get a green card, you can, if you hold it for five years in good standing, you can become a citizen. So Trump's plan is to bring these three million people, basically, who through no fault of their own were brought here as minors into citizenship for um, over the course of 12 years, pending, obviously, that they're not committing like aggravated felonies and stuff. Um, and that is something that the le- the left
0: democrats obviously want. That's
1: the first one. I think most people agree on that.
0: Yeah, like most Americans and that's why we're also kind of doing this podcast is that because most Americans don't really fall right-wing or left-wing. They kind of fall they really kind of fall in the middle. Cuz one of my political philosophies is is there's room for compromise on almost any issue when it comes to politics. Right? And so, most people in the United States fall somewhere in the middle. You're not always going to agree with everybody, but most Americans want immigration reform. It, and even Rand Paul, in a recent interview with Stephen Colbert, said that, what, like 80% of Americans want real immigration reform? It's it's a big deal, you know? So, we desperately need to make a path to citizenship. and. Phil, you have experience doing doing visas, right? Well,
1: not doing them. I worked for a while in an
0: immigration,
1: uh, immigration law firm where we were representing immigrants who were trying, either they were in proceedings to be deported or they were just in good standing and wanted to, you know, maybe they were on a student visa and they wanted to see if there was anything they could do after the student visa ran out or uh, to avoid an overstay if they were on a tourist visa, any, any kind of visa-related legal issues, uh, marriages, things like that, we were dealing with. So I have some awareness of it from the legal side. My personal experience is that I have like a, a lot of love for the immigrants that I've met in terms of thinking of them as like really honest, hardworking, good people. But my personal view is that, since you're talking about numbers, is that we should bring the numbers of immigrants down, legal and illegal. Um, Illegal, should we bring it down to zero? I mean, I don't think that that's feasible, but it would be nice if it would be down a good amount. I think that the illegal population, I think they put it at 11 to 13 million, I think that's probably an undercount. And then um, there's, what, 320 million total people in the country. Yep. And... um, to me, the country's too crowded, I, and I understand part of it is being in the New York Metro Metro, metro area, but
0: yeah, it's well, not that crowded where I live.
1: Yeah, yeah, in, in
0: my city of forty-five thousand people. Yeah, in upstate New York.
1: Yeah, well, you, viewers can guess. I mean, listeners can guess what city that is, but uh, um, Binghamton. <clears throat> all right, good guess, and but um, I think that for me. It would be nice if we could limit that number some, especially legal legal immigrants because we have control over that. I think one million is too many. Did you see the video? Maybe you didn't. There was like a Jim Acosta, who's a reporter for CNN. He had an argument with Stephen Miller um, where they talk about the number, and Jim Acosta references the uh, Lady Liberty uh, plaque. Did you Did you see that? No, I didn't.
2: I could play the audio if you want the viewers to hear, or we could... Yeah, um, we can play the audio. Hold on a second. Uh, what you're proposing or what the president is proposing here does not sound like it's in keeping with American tradition when it comes to immigration. The Statue of Liberty says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. doesn't say anything about speaking English or being able to uh, com- uh, be a computer programmer. Uh, aren't you trying to change what it means to be an immigrant? Coming into this country, if if you're telling them uh, you have to speak English, uh, can't people learn how to speak English when they get here? Well, first of all, right now it's a
3: requirement that to be naturalized you have to speak English. So the notion that speaking English wouldn't be a part of our immigration systems would be actually very ahistorical. Secondly, I don't want to get off into a whole thing about history here, but. The Statue of Liberty is a symbol of liberty enlightening the world. It's a symbol of American liberty lighting the world. The poem that you're referring to that was added later is not actually part of the original Statue of Liberty. But more fundamentally, the history, but more fundamentally, You're saying that that does not represent. I'm saying that the notion. I'm saying the notion of the. I'm saying the notion. I'm sorry. No, that sounds like. Let me ask you a question. That
2: sounds like some uh, National Park revisionism. No. So, the what I mean, sure. Statue of Liberty, <laughs> Jim has always Jim, been let me ask you a you hope to the world Jim, for people to send Jim, do you their believe people believe to this country Jim, and they're not always going to speak Jim, English, Stephen. Jim, they're not always going to be highly skilled, they're not always Jim, going to be Jim, somebody Jim,
3: I I appreciate your speech, Jim. I appreciate your speech. So, let's let's talk about it this.
2: A, Jim, let's talk about this. In 1970
3: when we let in 300,000 people a year, was that violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land? In, 19, in the 1990s when it was half a million a year was it violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land Was it
2: violating When it was 700,000 a year no, Look tell me what and years and the, and the field Tell me the what statu- years
3: tell me what years meet tell me what years meet Jim Acosta's definition of the Statue of Liberty poem law of the land So you're saying a million a year is the Statue of Liberty number nine hundred thousand violates it? Eight hundred thousand violates it?
2: You're, you're sort of bringing a Jim. press one for English philosophy here to Jim. immigration, and that's never for been Jim. what the United States has been about, Steve. That mean, your, but your also
3: your your statement's also shockingly ahistorical in another respect too, which is if you look at the history of immigration, it's actually ebbed and flowed. We've had periods of very large waves. Followed by periods of less immigration and more immigration, we and during the we've had period of
2: immigration right now, the president yeah, wants to build a wall. Actually, do you want to bring about a sweeping it, change to surely, the immigration? Surely, Jim, you don't
3: actually think that a wall affects green card policy? You couldn't possibly believe that, do you? Actually, the notion that you actually think immigration is at a historic low, the foreign-born population of the, the United States today, with the Jim, Jim.
2: Talking about how border crossings. Work do you really? Way I, mean, I want to be
3: serious, Jim. Do you really at CNN not know the difference between green card policy and illegal immigration?
2: Sir, my, you, I mean, you my, really my don't know a Cuban that. Immigrant. He came to this country in 1962, right before the Cuban Missile Crisis, and obtained a green card. Yes. People who immigrate <laughs> okay, so, to this country so Jim, can eventually. People who so Jim, immigrate to a this country question, through, Jim, not through Ellis Island as a factual question, Jim, as a factual ask, question, ways, do a, obtain a green card at some point? They do it through a lot of hard work, and yes, they may learn English as a second language later on in life. So but but this Jim, whole this whole notion of well they could learn you know they have to learn English before they get to the United States, are we just gonna bring in people from Great Britain and Australia? Jim, it's actually I
3: have to honestly say, I am shocked at your statement that you think that only people from Great Britain and Australia would know English. It's actually it reveals your cosmopolitan uh, bias to a shocking degree that in your mind, no, this is an amazing, this is an amazing moment, this is an amazing moment that you think only people from Great Britain or Australia would speak English is so insulting to millions of hardworking immigrants who do speak English from all over the world. Jim, have you honestly, Jim, have you honestly never met a an immigrant from another country? Who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia? Is that your personal experience? Are, of
2: course, there are people who come. But that's this not what you said. And it
3: shows. It shows your cosmopolitan bias. And I just want to it say. sounds like you're trying to engineer
2: the I racial say, and ethnic flow of people into this country. Yeah, that policy. is one of the
3: most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said. And for you, that's still a really the the notion that you think that this is a racist bill is so wrong and so though. insulting, Jim. The reality is is that the foreign born population into our country has quadrupled since 1970. That's a fact. It's been mostly driven by green card policy. Now this bill allows for immediate nuclear family members to come into the country much as they would today and then it adds an additional point-based system. The people who have been hurt the most
2: the people who've been the people who've been
3: the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating are what policy am I advocating? apparently just unfettered, uncontrolled migration. The people who've been hurt the most by the policy. What
2: you're doing is, is for the people who've been hurt
3: the most by the policy that you're. That, the people that, that, who've been hurt the uh, most by the policy you're advocating, are immigrant workers and minority workers and African American workers and Hispanic workers.
2: And it the has the African American no. community. Now you brought it up again. <laughs> you said you wanted to have a conversation and not target. Is it going to be a target This is now? what we want you to do. Using the African American community, are you going to target? I'm not trying to be funny. But right, you keep I, I know it. what you're
3: saying. What you're saying is 100% correct. We want to help unemployed African Americans in this country and unemployed workers of all backgrounds get jobs. And insinuations like Jim made trying to ascribe nefarious <coughs> motives to a compassion immigration measure designed to help newcomers and current arrivals alike is wrong. And this is a positive optimistic proposal that says 10 years, 20 years, 30 Sorry, years from now t- ten, 10 years 20 years, 30 years from now, we want to have an immigration system that takes care of the people who are coming here and the people who are already living here by having standards, by having a real clear requirement that you be able to support yourself financially, by making sure that employers can pay a living wage. That's the right policy for our country, and it's the President's commitment to taking care of American workers. I apologize, Jim, if things got heated, but you did make some pretty rough insinuations, so thank you. thank you, thank you, thank you, and I'll hand it over to Sarah.
1: Some interesting points that I felt like were from that were that Stephen Miller brings up the fact that immigration numbers have ebbed and flowed a lot, like if you think about the post, I mean the first immigrants coming over in the after the 1860s, 1880s were mostly German, West Germans and Western, uh, Western Europeans. Then after that turn of the century, with Southern Europeans, Italians and Irish. After the potato famine, then there was a big lull after uh, World War One, and then uh, once, uh, then there was the interwar between the interwar period where it was still low, and then after the war ended, World War Two ended. People, was, you know, were rebuilding Europe, and we were try- We just wanted to encourage immigration again, but we uh, United States ended up getting, and I think they actually did target. With the idea, and this is where the idea of uh, family unification comes in, which is one of the later points of Trump's bill. I think they were targeting trying to get Western Europeans in and Northern Europeans in, but they ended up getting, because they did have, I think they had the diversity lottery in as well, and they ended up getting like a lot of um, immigrants from other parts of the world. Like they got a lot of Asian born immigrants that hadn't been here before. I think Mexicans were always coming in in large numbers, but not only Mexicans, but Latinos from all. Uh, walks of life, but maybe even more from South America than were expected. There were a lot of Africans that came in, like uh, Arabs and South Asians. And um, the family unification part allowed those groups to really also grow in number um, a lot, I think, more than was anticipated by the people who crafted the bill. I think Eisenhower crafted the bill, but I would have to go back and check that. all right, so that's that. I, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting exchange between Acosta and Miller, Stephen Miller, because um, there's the the Lady Liberty exchange where like Acosta says, bring me the tired, the poor, and, and then Stephen Miller says, well, that's a later addition to the statue, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. And what's the real number that we should allow to bring in? And I think the key point that Stephen Miller brought in at the end was we need to do a bill that... Works for those that are coming in, but also for those that are here. Like we yep. need people here to also be
0: thought of and protected when we think about immigration. Um, I have only experienced one time uh, with helping somebody apply for uh, a visa, and I was in Nicaragua for one month, uh, and and the the Nicaraguan family I was staying with, um, her name, uh, the the woman in the family was uh, a darling. And Darling uh, is a missionary that my church supports. And so she wanted a tourist visa to come to the United States because she had to come to a couple conferences because she was trying to raise money and tell people what's going on in Nicaragua. And, you know, she found time to visit my church. But I helped her, you know. And it it was ridiculous how much we had to go through, how much paperwork we had to go through just for a tourist visa. And, the, and they had to know, where are you going to be every single time, every... Basically like every minute.
1: <laughs> well, an interesting so, thing about tourist visas, tourist visas are <coughs> free, I think are frequently um, used for overstays. So if we go to the next topic which is border security, how do people come mm-hmm. into the country illegally? How do we get to the number of thirteen I mean, yeah, let's let's put it at 13, 11 to thirteen million illegal immigrants. Um w- I mean, no other country has as many illegal immigrants uh, as the United States. We have like the That's true. largest number. And um, how did it happen? Well, a lot of it has to do with with visa overstays. They'll get a someone will get a visa,
0: and they'll just um, have yeah. it. It will expire, and they won't go home, and remember, they'll just continue to work. Remember a friend that we used to have back in college? We have a friend from college, uh, and and this friend, he. Definitely overstayed his visa and he was here on an education visa, right? He ended up getting dis uh, 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 Deported from from this country, but it's interesting people say oh well, you know our country make America great again But like listen, I'm not here to target Trump or anything, but people Always complain about this country. They're like, oh, this is a terrible country if it's such a terrible country why do we have 11 to 13 million illegal immigrants? Why is everybody, their mother, their grandmother, their grandfather, and every part of the extended family trying to come into this country if we have such a terrible country?
1: Well, so here's an interesting thing about the border security, right? You have yeah. visa overstates but you do still have people crossing the border, although they say since Trump got into office and his, like, threats, let's say, just the, just him up there threatening has brought down the numbers. I don't remember the number, but it's brought down... A good amount, the number of border cross illegal border crossings. Well, and remind me to say something about catch and release. Well, so with the actual country of Mexico, I think the border crossings right now, like, is at zero. It's it's like at a um, what do they call that a some zero level. Like as many people from here go to Mexico as Mexicans come here. Now a lot of those people. That are quote unquote from here are people that are just staying here that are Mexican that are returned to their country. And that could be because Mexico's economy is doing pretty well. The reason Mexico's economy is doing pretty well is because NAFTA. NAFTA created a lot of job opportunities in Mexico. Mexico's economy has been doing much better. I mean, there's crime problems in Mexico, obviously. But since that's the case and stuff is You're cheaper in Mexico, me. cost of living is cheaper in Mexico, there's a lot of opportunities there for Mexicans to go back and live a better life in Mexico than here in the United States. It's, also, right, it's the biggest Spanish-speaking country in the world. The other option, but the, that's just Mexico. Now, if you think about El Salvador, if you think about um, uh, Honduras, uh, Venezuela is another good example. These are countries that have terrible situations either due to gang violence, drug trafficking, or uh, in the case of Venezuela, like really mi- bad mismanagement at the top level. Um that, that creates a situation where a lot of those people are coming here because their countries are in really bad shape and um, are crossing the border illegally. So Trump's saying he's going to put a border wall up. Do you think that a border wall would um, stop entry illegal entries? I,
0: I, think it, I think it could stop illegal entries, definitely. What, what percentage of illegal entries? I have no idea. I don't think anybody really knows, but it's probably a pretty high percentage um, as far as... If we're talking about the Rio Grande but I don't think it's high enough to warrant spending the money on a border wall because he
1: wants what 1.2 trillion right yeah is that the number
0: I don't know it might be lower than that it could be lower than that but like listen I'm against the border wall not just because of that but because in history every government becomes tyrannical eventually it's only a matter of time could be 50 more years could be 100 more years could be 200 more years who knows so let's Wait, pretend I just we have... my
1: outrageous number? I said 1.2
0: trillion is actually 18 million. Million? Yeah. There's no way it can be 18 million. Yeah, let me
1: look again. Let me look again. Keep going.
0: That's way too low. All right. Keep going. Um, but eventually a government always becomes tyrannical. And when a government becomes tyrannical, what's to keep us from leaving the country if... Let's pretend you're the group that's being targeted, right? If I'm in the group that's being targeted... By a tyrannical government... And I'm not allowed to leave this country... What's going to happen? And people are like... Oh, you're being a sensationalist... They, you know... But... Like I said... It, I'm not saying that's going to happen in my lifetime... It could... But... Highly doubt it... But it could happen in 50 years... Could happen in 100 years... Could happen in 200 years... Then you've got a wall... You have to try to get around... That's true... You know... It, it's ridiculous... And... As the movie Fences say... Sometimes they build walls to keep
1: people from getting in, other times they build walls to keep people from getting out. Yeah, exactly, prison state. (laughs) Oh God, that's such a really good reason not to build the wall. So uh, right here, let's just put it at 10 billion, right? So first I said trillion, wrong, then I said million, wrong, so let's try 10 billion.
0: I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's not an obscene amount of money, it could be spent better, right? I think so, I think we could put it toward this uh, infrastructure project we're gonna eventually get to. We could build 10 Barclays centers. I'd be alright with that. Let's get it. But then it. the Nets would have to play in all ten of them and nobody. Oh wants gosh. To. <laughs> Unless the Knicks are playing them with Porzingis, then everybody's gonna wanna watch and they'll shout defense when the Knicks are on defense.
1: So you say no to a border wall because you, you think it's expensive and you think that down the road it doesn't have to be hundred years by the way, if we got if this became a tyrannical state, you would want to be able to escape. Yeah, exactly understand that if it was a hundred years down the road probably you would have better yeah, technology I know. enough. But I if know. it was ten years down the road, that would be serious. Yeah. Especially since they're already recording and surveying most of your movements as it is. Okay. Just putting that out there. Alright, the next the next thing in the um, four pillars is diversity lotto. I Wait, so you're nay on the wall. I yes. Now you understand that Trump is giving DACA or some people say DACA. DACA to the Dems in order to give the border wall people, here Dems, take DACA, now we get our border wall. So it's a trade-off. Uh, oh, and most Democrats also oppose the border wall not because of what you said, which I actually think is a good argument. They
0: oppose it because they feel it's racist. It, it, <clears throat> I mean, listen, you don't see Canadians immigrating to the United States. But what's interesting, Mexico guards their southern border, don't they? I don't think so. Yeah, they they have a bunch of people from those Central American countries trying to immigrate into their country. And do they have a wall? I don't know if they have a wall. I know it's heavily guarded, though. Okay. But I don't know if you necessarily need a wall. Well, it's not... Actually, he also did
1: say it doesn't have to be a wall like the Great Wall of China and all places. It could be like cameras and things like that. Was well.
0: it Marco Rubio that asked uh President Trump when he was a nominee what happens when El Chapo tunnels underneath it? Yes. You yeah, love that line. Right? Just that was one of my favorite lines. I was laughing so hard, especially, you know, cuz I've been to Mexico too. I spent 2 months in Mexico. So I I know a little bit about what goes on with the with the with these drug cartels and such things. So I I also think where there's I mean, listen, if they can tunnel El Chapo out of prison, which they can't in New York now.
1: I don't know if he's still in New York.
0: I don't know where he is. He but was in Brooklyn for a while. I thought it was pretty funny. He wanted to be he wanted he said it was inhumane that he was put on the top floor and the judge was just <laughs> basically just laughed at him. I was like, Yeah, whatever. You're staying put. So it it was pretty pretty funny. But anyway, wait, wait! You didn't even comment on whether it's racist or not. I don't think it's. See, everything's racist now. You say anything, it's racist. If I say, "Look, I fell on black ice," you just offended no African Americans.
1: Oh, there is black ice. I
0: I got. In, I crashed into the median because I hit black, black ice. ice right, right. All the African Americans are now offended. But no, like, now if I were to that's say, that's easy for you
1: to say as a white cisgender male. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excuse me, you didn't address me to my my pr- my stop, preferred stop, pronoun. us not go there. All
1: right. Next, an end uh, no, we don't need to go there. An end to the diversity visa lottery. That's number 3. Are you on this or not on this?
0: End of the
1: diversity. I mean, this is a good lottery. transition because we were just talking about racism I and mean, this is the diversity lotto.
0: See, I am against the diversity lotto. I think if you're qualified, so you to want a merit-based system. Um I, I like a merit- based system, but I, I like a diversity and and merit- based system like a combination. So what do you mean? That's what it is now, right? Not really. it's just a diversity like if you're from it doesn't really matter what your skills are. yeah there's there's skill based visas. There is but what I think it would be better to we should just eliminate skill- based visas altogether. And everything should pretty much just be skill-based. But there should be diversity requirements within the skill-based visas. Does that make sense? Because there's a difference between uh, work visas and... I
1: actually think the diversity lottery is a small part of the visa application process. I think most are family reunification. Which is a good thing. Well, we'll get to that. That's next. And I, I don't know, so we'll get to that. But... Let's say most are family reunification, then a good amount are merit, and then a small amount are uh, diversity.
0: I think it's fifty thousand. Either way, you know, um, diversity—it's—it's it's fine and all, but skill is more important, I, I would say. Uh, now, but do you want to bring in high wage or low wage? I mean, high skill or low skill workers, both. If you have a listen, any skill you have, like real skill you have, is it, it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me. If you can drive a forklift, which I drive a forklift for a living, a standing forklift, uh, and if you can drive a forklift, it's a great thing to be able to do that, and you can make.
1: I make. I'm I don't, on, you didn't tell me about what you make.
0: I'm on pace to make a decent amount of money this year. Let's just say I'm middle class.
1: Wait, can we stop for a second? Though? Why do you want to bring in somebody from another country to do that job? That would make no sense to me. What job would you be doing?
0: There's pl. There are plenty of jobs in this country. Are there?
1: You just have to look. Oh, if this if you bring in somebody that can do a forklift job, you lose your job. And you said, well, there's plenty of jobs. Well, I mean, let me think. How many jobs in the U.S. full time jobs? Um, I don't think there's that many I think there's like I don't I, I think let me think I think 50% of the population works which is so I think there's about 100 okay 120, I was going to say 150 million there's 100 there's 120 million full-time jobs in the country, right?
0: Okay, how many people in working age are there? Between the ages of 18 and 60. It's probably half the population. It's about half the population. Well, look it up.
1: Well, I, I don't want... Wait, wait. You want me to look at it right now?
0: Yeah. Wait, let me... You, look you know what? Up. You just finished what you're saying. I know. They
1: it say it's at 5%. Is unemployment 5%. So my point is this. 120 million jobs, full-time jobs in the United States. They bring in a million new immigrants a year right now. They're all get. they all getting jobs full-time. Uh-huh. They're coming here to get jobs. They're all getting full-time jobs, 1 million jobs, right? So, I mean, it's already pretty much full. The economy doesn't grow. I mean, last year the economy grew at a good clip, I think right below 3%, but normally the economy doesn't grow at 3%. For many years it's been growing at 1%. You bring in 1 million new people, they're all going to be getting jobs, but you have the new class of people turning 18 Good number of those people are gonna be getting jobs. If you're, if there's gonna be one million new people is taking about like, I don't know, let's just say slightly less than one percent of the available full time jobs every year. Over the course of ten years, they've just taken, let's say eight percent of the available jobs. What does that leave you with? When you think about it like that, eight percent of the available jobs—we don't know what percentage of the available jobs you're qualified for—but I know that's beginning to take uh, a definite chunk out of you, the jobs that you're available to work.
0: Yeah, it it does, but it, again, immigration isn't isn't that high anyway, and it's one million right now. But um, but what I'm saying is that there are supposedly eleven to thirteen million. Illegal immigrants. So there's a lot of immigrants in this country. Illegal. I'm talking about legal. And One million
1: illegal. new legal immigrants a year.
0: Yeah. What about it? Do you think that's too high?
1: I think it's way too high. Uh, and my point is, they're, ta- they're all coming to take a job. I could say work a job. Maybe that's a slightly better way to say it, right? Oh, take a job. No, work a job. But we don't have... You don't owe... Right? You don't owe... Maybe not all, but let's say most. You don't owe people from another country the jobs the way you owe an American the job someone that was born here because you have to take care of him he lives here yeah <clears throat> um. so why give away a job like a forklift job to um, to an immigrant doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me well especially if it can be a middle class job middle class manufacturing job
0: blue collar well, it's more a warehouse job than a manufacturing job. It could be a manufacturing job, but uh, whatever, semantics, whatever. semantics, anyway, this semantics. Anyway, um, semantics. And what I heard about, about a
1: lot of um, forklift jobs or warehouse working jobs are that those jobs are among the best jobs for non-college educated or for those who are college educated but are underemployed. Yeah. And it's been that way for a number of years, maybe 10 or 15 yeah, years. Yeah, they're
0: actually... I, I mean, I, like I said, I get paid pretty decently. Um, I get vacation time, sick days, floating holidays, you know, you name it. It's it's really good. Uh, but, see, I think that immigrants should be allowed... If, if they're a great forklift driver, they should be allowed to come in to fill a position. Now, the thing is... No, my. Hear me out, Phil. I see you smiling over there. You know, hear, hear me out. Uh, one of the big problems that, that we have where I work is there's a huge turnover rate, and we can't get people to stay. You know, and these things need to happen. And because we don't have enough people uh, in, a, in our company, it, it, it can be very, very difficult to get things done that we need to get done. Right? And people are like, oh, well, you should go on a hiring drive. We do go on hiring drives. The problem is nobody in our country wants to work anymore. I mean, that's not quite true. That's a little bit of an absolute blanket sweep. There are people that want to work, but not enough people want to work at a blue-collar job.
1: I think blue-collar jobs don't pay enough for people. I think a lot of people would love to work in a blue-collar job.
0: We pay pretty good. All right. I mean I was a ta- both of us have been taxi drivers so you understand what I'm saying Phil I was making kind of eh money as a taxi driver right and uh, I'm making more now after taxes than I was as a taxi driver So I get paid fine I mean am I underpaid a little bit I think I would be I'm a little underpaid but if I'm there for 5 years then I hit the next tier and the next tier is a big raise i don't remember exactly how big it is but there are people that have been there for 30 years there's people that have been where i worked for a long time because
1: so what kind of people do you want to admit people all across the salary spectrum are you want specialized labor you want brain surgeons you want to take people from india who do you want you want chinese businessmen who do you want to admit i mean it's our choice right at the end of the day i think that the difficulty with the democratic position, for me, on immigration is two things. One, that they call the race card, in my opinion, too frequently. So that anybody who speaks about immig- limiting immigration is, is considered a racist. and to, Which just makes me want to tune out. And two, the idea that... Um, two, the idea that... I think they have good points in the corner. But I think the second bad idea that they have is... Um, I can't what I to say.
0: Oh, well. So, <laughs> my this is how I would do it. If I were to have an immigration system that's skill-based, right? You start with the top earners, right? And however many top earners you can get, depending on... So, let's pretend we have... Um, we're we're going to stay at a million, right? Too high. Yes, but let's pretend for a second we stay at a million, Right. So we find all the skilled workers we can. Very, I mean, highly skilled brain surgeons, uh, with a right. salary of like seventy-five thousand a year or more. That's right,
1: middle-class salary is two hundred thousand. You mean?
0: I'm talking seventy-five thousand or more. Those
1: are not the high earners.
0: Okay, fine. We'll say a hundred thousand or
1: more. They're still not the high earners. One hundred fifty to two hundred thousand and up are the high earners.
0: Okay. So we start from the highest I know a earners. guy who works
1: at the MTA that makes $100,000 He drives a train in the subway and makes makes $100,000 Really? Yes Oh
0: my gosh Alright, so go That's ahead It's ridiculous So we start with the <laughs> most qualified Yeah I don't think it's ridiculous but go ahead That is pretty ridiculous Alright, continue You know how much that would pay in Binghamton? It would be, like be like a $35,000 a year job Stay focused <laughs> I can always edit this out anyway Don't, just stay focused so you don't have to do all that Well, we're at like 40 minutes.
1: All right. So let's wrap it up. Let's stay focused. We're going to get to the fourth pillar soon.
0: Okay. So, you know, you start with the top earners, right? And you get as many of the top earners and you put it in different tiers as far as salary, right? So let's pretend, uh, tier one, like priority one would be like 250,000 down to 200,000, right? And then the next priority would be two hundred thousand down to one hundred and fifty. Next priority would be like one hundred and fifty to like ninety thousand, and then like ninety thousand downwards to like what sixty five thousand. Okay. And then you know sixty five down to forty five, and then forty five down to thirty, and then th- I think thirty thousand should be the the minimum cutoff, like a thirty thousand dollar a year job.
1: What about agricultural workers?
0: Why do we need agricultural workers? Because we have a lot of agriculture. So... Agricultural workers make $30,000 a year or less? A lot of them. And why is that?
1: Low-skilled job. You know how capitalism is set up? Capitalism is set up to make those who work the least get paid the most, and those who work the hardest get paid the least. Everybody knows that. Okay. Yes, you heard that, Ray and Paul. Yes.
0: Yeah, and socialism is set up Stop. so that nobody, nobody makes any money except the government. That's not true.
1: Continue. So what are you going to do with these tiers? And well, what
0: are you going to do with the agricultural workers? So I don't know what to do with the agricultural workers. But, you know, uh, as technology keeps improving, agriculture is... You know, we don't need as agricultural workers as much as we used to as technology increases okay. so because we're becoming industrialized whether we don't want to or not but we do have this kind of organic movement going so we may need more but then again we also have a small business movement going so we have people that are trying to start their own agriculture now okay. so you know that's not that big of a deal but you know you start with your first priority and you get as many for like the first six months the first, from like a hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand, those are the people. Those are the people you're trying to get first. My basic question is: Do you want the high
1: earners coming in, or you want them to come in less? I would rather. Because
0: my view kind of is a, that I'd rather have the high earning jobs go to Americans. I'd love to have high earning jobs go to Americans, and uh, I think that that would be a debate for another time about how to improve higher improve. Uh, the 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 training for for people to be able to hold these hiring jobs and and how to fund that for Americans um, but from from strictly a tax perspective right what we need to think about is how do we get more people to pay taxes you need more high earners so if you bring in the high earners and give them green cards and tax them like you do Americans so,
1: but you're saying in areas where there's a shortage of workers like tech, let's say, or yes. software engineers. Yes. So bring in 10,000 Indian software engineers.
0: Yeah, or as as many as you can get. It, uh, like, you know, a million is pretty high, uh, unless, we're, unless we're talking about the dreamers and, and we're naturalizing. Not we're not anymore. Here dreamers. So if, if we're not talking about uh, uh, naturalizing our dreamers, then what we need to do is we need to lower that number, you know, down to like five hundred thousand or seven hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Yeah. So if we if we lower it to that, um that would help. And then, you know, you get as many as you can in each tier over a period of months. I don't know what that time period would look like. So you'd have your highest tier. Maybe for like the first three months you just recruit those those guys or i don't know it's there's a lot of leeway to what this. do you think about um
1: uh ethnic enclaves like the idea that uh, like multiculturalism versus assimilation where do you fall on that line as far as multiculturalism is people existing uh groups of people existing like jews next to muslims next to christians next to buddhists but not being uh, there being no overarching uh, societal culture But they just exist in their cultures next to each other, kind of in segmented groups versus assimilation, which is the melting pot idea where everybody kind of derobes from their former culture and begins to assimilate and take on the new overarching American culture. Do you have one feeling or the other about about that? I
0: think there's a balance between the two, but I'm more in favor of the melting pot idea. Yeah, I'm more on the assimilation. I, th- I, I think that, I think that uh, melting pot and assimilation is very important. Uh, and think about it. These people, they're leaving their country. So basically, they're betraying their country to come to our country. They're betraying their culture. Don't they
1: have to say betraying. They can still be faithful to their culture. They could. I mean, be
0: faithful at least in their hearts. They can have uh, nostalgia for their culture and come here. They have to feel like it's betrayal. Yeah but I think there's a fine line. I honestly I like halal food. I really do. I like lamb over rice. I, I I like I like some Jewish food. I like Indian food. You know, like real Indian food. And yeah, it's that you can keep pieces of your culture and in fact, you know, American culture is built from all these other cultures. You know, these cultures they help build our culture. So the way in which our culture progresses is by getting other points of view from other cultures. Well,
1: in some ways, I I, I can agree with that. In some ways, I think that the difficulty with American... One of the difficulties with American culture is that it's hard for us to find an ethos. It's hard for us to find a unifying theme, a unifying feeling that we can all kind of rally around and feel is American. Because... What it was in the 50s nowadays, right, that kind of concept of the American dream that was built in the 50s, I think to a lot of people is not attractive. I think that they find it like, kind of racist, or they find it to be old-fashioned, or they find it to be too conservative, or they find it to be unrealistic, or they find it to be just
0: a whitewashing of the world. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about the... <laughs> Leave it to beaver. Uh, yeah, see, if we're talking about a TV show and we see the black and white film... Hey, look, there goes 1950s Barbie. You right. know, like, first of all, that was... I mean, even un- in the 90s, even if you think about the 90s, the whole, like, Daytona
1: Beach, Spring Break, MTV, era, yeah. Nirvana, that was not very American, but it still feels different than, I would say,
0: modern America. I have not met very many people that actually had many of those experiences. Nineties nineties Daytona Beach type of Yeah. They exist, those people exist. They do they? exist, sure, but
1: But look where you've lived. You lived in the northeast most of your life in that's that, true. I mean this is something that we've watched mostly on television where those things were happening in Florida, Texas, California. It's still kind of the sun sunny areas. I mean nineties were a lull for New York. Eighties, nineties were a bad era for New York City. Yeah, that's true. Right? And LA yeah. was more on the come up. I mean, I don't know. All right, let's talk about the last topic. I, I, I guess we we're just talking a little Ending bit. Ending chain
0: migration. Phil, what do you think of chain migration? Well, there's two ways people call it. Some people call it
1: chain migration. Some people call it family unification. Those that are against it call it chain migration because what they see is one guy comes here on a green card. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who knows how he gets his green card? He comes here on his green card. Then he, you know, he could become a U.S. citizen after five years. Uh, he'll petition his brother, or he could petition his mother. His mother petitions his brother because that's her son, media relative. Or oh, that might not be. If he's not a minor, I don't think he's a media relative. He's on a wait list, but he still can come in. So he, so one guy, he could bring his wife and his spouse. That's gonna stay. His wife and his spouse. His wife and his. Um, I mean, he doesn't have more, uh, maybe he has multiple spouses. Maybe he's a Mormon. So that's an issue. Woman, right? I was gonna say, right? All right. So he brings in his spouse. He brings in his kids. Those come in no matter what, even under the new plan, the new proposed plan. The other, then, right? Right now, as it exists, he can bring in his parents. He then the parents could, once they come in, could bring in the brother. His brother, or he could bring in his brother. His brother could bring in his kids and his his brother's kids and his brother's wife. Uh, then those once they those people get. Naturalized, they can bring in their families. So what can happen? And there's no limit. So what can happen is, it just keeps extending and extending and extending, and it's not merit based at all. And so you could have large swaths of people coming in that may, I mean, right? They might. What do we
0: consider nuclear family?
1: That is a good question. So some people feel that nuclear family is just the way it's the way that Trump administration wants to define it is. Well, nuclear family is that basically, right? Spouse and kids. And then other people are adding the parents. That's become the big question. Should you add the parents or not? Because once you add the parents and if they can bring in their kids, then you're really bringing in your brothers, your siblings, and your cousins, or your nephews and nieces. So um, my view on it is probably that they should not do family reunification anymore. Or that they should do less family reunifications. I understand. it Sounds not compassionate. You don't want to bring your extended family, but um, let's say if I when I think about it, I think oh, if I were to move to Italy, and um, and I got there, I came in on a work visa, and then I decided to become an Italian citizen, and then I thought to myself ah well maybe my brother would like to live here, and then they said no you can't bring your brother because you're the you're the Italian citizen and we don't accept brothers petition, petitions to make your brothers Italian citizen.
0: I uh, really like his brother so if they would, wouldn't allow his brothers to come here I would be Italy. super, super to to disappointed Italy. and sad. Italy.
1: I would say dang, I guess my brother can't come to Italy. He could come on a visitor visitor uh, visa, that's fine, towards visa, nah. but he can't come as a citizen. Oh no, your brother citizen. should definitely be allowed here. Good, They're okay, awesome. so
0: you feel that family reunification is something that should be kept? Uh, yes, but, the, but there has to be, there does have to be a limit at some point. Um, you know, uh, first, the first people that should be allowed, obviously, are parents, and they should be allowed to bring the rest of their immediate family, wife, kids, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it really depends. It's kind of a toss up for me. Like, I see both sides of it, and both sides make a lot of sense. The compassionate issue, because, like, would I want my siblings to come with me? Of course I would. But at the same time, You know, you have to think about it from a jobs perspective and from a U.S. economy perspective. Especially the job and the skill perspective. Like, let's pretend one guy is a brain surgeon and the other guy is a professional scam artist. But he's never been convicted of a felony and he makes it look like he's great on paper. And then he comes over and he's like, look, I'm a certified accountant. Right? That's fraud. Yeah, exactly. Well, he could get deported. Yeah, exactly. But... He, we just brought him over and now we're now we're spending money deporting him. Oh, yeah, that's the problem, spending the money deporting him. Yeah, deporting people actually costs money. Because I guarantee you, most of these people getting deported are not going to be paying the U.S. back. And by most of the people, I'm like, probably 99% of them.
1: So I guess at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know your view. So you would say you would like family reunification but with some qualifications yes maybe they could bring in the nuclear family and then they could just there could be some kind of uh, limit like based like some kind of point system I think has been proposed by some people yeah um, two points to bring in a parent five points to bring in a brother and you only you know something like that
0: yeah that's that's not a bad idea all right
1: so that I think the family reunification thing I think is actually the big hold up even beyond the border wall for the Democrats. Uh, I know that the Democrats find the um, border wall offensive, but I think they're willing to do it to get DACA because DACA would be a big win for the Democrats. Also, I would like to say that I've, I think DACA... Obama never meant DACA to be permanent, and I find it a little bit disingenuous that people are mad at Trump for ending DACA. DACA was, got renewed... But it was going to run out anyway. I mean, Trump sped it up and he ended he ended advanced parole. But uh, it wasn't ever meant to be permanent, in other words. like it, it, It's an executive order. It's not a law. It shouldn't it, you shouldn't be able to just make executive orders that change big things like that. Technically, according to the Constitution, if you want to change the Constitution, that's another topic. Can we hit two, uh, Can we hit Rob Porter before um, we end?
0: Uh, we're at like 50 minutes.
1: All right, so we won't hit Rob Porter. Uh, although it's alleged that Rob Porter has been hitting other people, um, but you know what? Let's hit this. This is a very small one. All right. So Rob That's Porter easy. is a staff secretary for Donald Trump. He was also um, in a supposed, I guess, in a romantic relationship with Hope Hicks, who was his, I think, is his communications director. Yep. Um, and she crafted a letter basically that said like, he's a good guy. Uh, and Rob Porter has now stepped down because he abused two, his two... He allegedly. Allegedly abused his ex-wives. Um, after the divorces, I think, it, I, I don't know the story about whether I there's... You know what the funny thing is? Police reports or what? I know I know the one story that I heard is that he used to put his body weight on his wife and then dig his elbows into her as he would yell in her face so
0: that's not other so sure. police reports I don't know is there verifiable evidence that's what she that's that's her allegation and see that's the problem it's like oh well, he should resign there
1: may be there may be police reports it's don't know. possible okay and go if, ahead if there are ahead, police for...
0: reports and these women filed police reports okay then they're within their right and Rob Porter should step down now if he has not been convicted of a crime of any sort he should not have to step How down. How about a misdemeanor DV? Domestic violence. Yeah, I I think you should step down. I think somebody <laughs> step should step down. down for that. Okay. Continue. Like, if, they, if, if he's been convicted of that, he should. Okay. Now, I think it was ridiculous what the Democrats did to Al Franken. He said, these allegations are not true against me. And they still said, you should resign. No, Al
1: Franken did say that his the allegations were true. That he touched the girl's boob. It's right in the photo.
0: Look, we'll he said it off. was a so, joke.
1: Look, look. No, it's fine that you made a mistake. He said it was a joke. Go ahead. I thought it was wrong that they made Alfred step yeah. down, too. Yeah, exactly. See, they made him
0: step down. It, it was, Yeah. It, it's ridiculous. What are you going to say about Rob Porter? You feel what? I think we need to let more evidence come to light. Because people just want to throw mud. That's what it is. It's just mudslinging. They make all these accusations. But you
1: feel someone that has domestic abuse... Um convictions even misdemeanor convict mm-hmm. or misdemeanor uh what if the charges were dropped what if he has what if there's physical evidence police report physical evidence he went to jail but then when he for a night came out then when he went to trial that the wife decides she wasn't a press charge the charges were dropped then they no, if divorced. they were divorced
0: because of that then if they were later divorced now if they're divorced because of that specific issue that's a different story you know even if he's not guilty he really should step down if that was the reason that the judge granted a divorce, and, but he was never convicted of and it. And
1: do you consider, well, the judge doesn't, they can do a no-fault divorce, but do you consider the Me Too, um, so I don't know if this is part of Me Too, but do you consider, per, I mean, from your moral perspective, is the sexual um, harassment or the physical violence a more uh, problematic uh, thing? And I mean, I understand it's not a work related thing, right? You can't hit somebody at work, you get
0: fired. But which one do you feel is one that to you is more troubling? It's like asking me, do you prefer to eat oranges or bananas? I mean, they're they're really on the same level. They're both really evil things. They're both just as evil. Although yeah, they both they both scar you for life. Okay, uh Now, when it comes to this whole... What do you think about Trump? Did you read
1: Trump's response?
0: Yeah, I did. Trump is just going to be Trump. I'm not even going to say anything because I really don't pay attention to what he has to say most of the time on his Twitter and letters and such things because he just likes to stir things up. You think he was stirring things up? I think so. I felt like he was saying...
1: I think he's not a fan of Me Too, and I think he was just saying, don't go off of allegations. But then I I also heard that Trump, behind closed doors, was saying that he thinks that the allegations about Rob Porter are true,
0: and that he thinks he's sick. Yeah, this is a... It's... Okay. I want to clear the air on the Me Too thing. Okay. (laughs) There are a lot of women that are really being hurt in this country both with sexual harassment and with physical abuse. And it's ridiculous that women are mistreated. And it's also ridiculous, I've seen men that are mistreated. But you won't see any men in the Me Too movement, unfortunately. There are men in the Me Too movement. And there should be more I men coming men. out in, in the Me Too movement.
1: I think there are men in the Me Too movement.
0: This is a, this is a very serious movement, okay? And I've heard so many stories from a lot of people Alright, and, okay, so, when this whole thing was just starting to blow up, right, I'm in the lunchroom at work with a couple guys, and this girl comes to the vending machine in the break room, and we're all sitting at the table, and she's getting something from the vending machine, and one of the guys takes out a camera, and he's on his phone, and he's just, like, playing with his camera, and he accidentally had it pointed at the girl as she was at the vending machine, right, and the one guy's like, stop taking a picture of her butt. Oh, you're trying to take a picture of her butt. She didn't say anything, and she just walked out silently. But while she was walking away, I'm like, dude, why did you say that? That's ridiculous. Are you trying to get fired for sexual harassment? I said, that is sexual harassment. Now, if we talk about that outside of a microphone, not in public, together, in private, it's a different story. Now, should we be talking about that? No. I I wouldn't have, I, I won't say something like that about that right but this is the problem we've become a nation of perverts and it's 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 interesting that a lot of people in our country they're like how can this happen and they're all appalled and they're like (laughs) you know you, you see what i'm saying phil like they're they're so shocked at all of these perverts in our country and all of these misogynists in our country, and they're like, down with the patriarchy. But has it ever occurred to the women out there that maybe the sexual revolution and free love and, God forbid I say it, abortion are actually patriarchal attempts to control women? To make women put out whenever men want them to, so men don't have to face the social consequences for not having to commit to a woman, for not having to treat a woman the right way. This is the problem in our country. Rob Porter is a peon in the grand scheme of things. The bigger issue at large is we created a culture where we allow free love, free sex, and there's no consequences. We take away the consequences with abortion. We take away the consequences with easy divorces. We take away the consequences by eroding the idea that marriage is a feasible institution. And by eliminating these three things, and, and, and by. And, and, and we also, in, in, in the sexual revolution and free love, we also have pornography, which is disgraceful to women, which hurts women, and it hurts men too many men look at pornography and that's not good either see this whole thing we have normalized sex without consequence and now we're surprised that all of these men are are harassed sexually harassing groping raping women like people like oh well you just need to tell men to not rape or we could tell men not to rape we could tell women not to have abortions. We could tell men not to lead women on or put themselves in a bad situation where they will be tempted to try to seduce a woman for women not to seduce men, right? That should be normalized because that is how we, we stop this sexual harassment culture, this rape culture, I've exhausted my point.
1: All right, so more of the... That's like a Mike... That's like the... You think Mike Pence is no meetings... I think he has no meetings
0: with a woman? Yeah, no private meetings with a woman. Yeah, but now he's starting to look pretty smart because he doesn't have to worry about getting accused of any of that stuff. And it's not that he hates women. He just doesn't want to get accused of something because, you know, there's always going to be some... Crazy person that's out to get you, or or you might be tempted to do something stupid. There. So
1: I, yeah, I mean, I think that that makes I think that that makes some sense. I don't see. I mean, I think you brought in a lot of different things. Um, I think that there is a lot to unpack there. I mean, it's just a long discussion, and it. I mean, I feel like it's just a long discussion Uh, and I don't feel like agreeing or disagreeing with it on on really that many levels Uh, about Rob Porter I think that there's something I mean supposedly he was doing a really good job in the White House like he was rising up in the ranks and I, I just wonder like if that kind of hard driving type A personality is it more likely to be the type of guy that would domestically abuse women it makes sense to me that he would. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I'm just, I'm just thinking as a psychological profile.
0: Can't tell you how many times I've abused women. Actually, I can zero times. And I'm a, I'm a pretty Type A personality, as Phil will tell you. I guess I just feel that. Um,
1: I don't know. It's a big topic, and I think that. The Trump, Trump's tweets about it. Trump's response to it doesn't bother me at all, to be honest. And actually, I don't even know to be either what my thinking is on. If he should be forced to step down, like I, I, domestic violence in your past means that you can't work as a staffer, in the federal government. That doesn't make sense to me. But you, you're saying that you agree with that, and I mean, it seems the majority. But how of people far do in the past are that. we talking?
0: I don't know, but I'm just saying. I think there's there's certain differences. Like for example, remember Kim Davis the The clerk who refused to grant the license for um, married a gay married yeah. couple. Yeah. Well, they were they were trying to tear her down, saying, "Oh, well, divorce is against the Bible, and so because divorce is against the Bible, she's a hypocrite for not granting the marriage license." She was divorced, but she, yeah, but she was remarried? divorced before she, be, yeah, but before she became a Christian. Okay. She was remar- divorced, and remarried before she became a Christian. Then she became a Christian so you know that obviously wouldn't count if you had like a major life change like that I just think it's stupid to say I mean just thinking about what a Christian would say yeah.
1: in that situation you're telling them oh you're doing one bad thing so how does doing a, in their mind a second bad thing how is that bad like that doesn't make sense like that's like you know what I'm saying it's like it's still yeah. a bad thing to you just cause you're doing one bad thing doesn't mean you have to add
0: to your pile of bad things yeah. that you're doing Bush your got a DWI climate. so he wasn't qualified to be president
1: no, and that's not what I mean. I'm saying. I know, like, but I'm I'm being Bush, sure. I'm Bush. agreeing with you. It's like Bush. Why don't you go uh, poach that um, that uh, wild pheasant? Oh, I don't want to poach a wild pheasant. It seems like a bad thing. Well, you got a DWI. It's like so I screwed up in one place. Does that mean I have to screw up in all places, or in a second place? And um, all right, so I guess. But with Porter, I mean, I'm I'm fine with him going if they felt it was the best decision. I just think DV doesn't automatically equal lose your job that's not I mean maybe it does in most people's minds but it, nah, it
0: shouldn't not... automatically mean it. Uh, it like I said it all depends there's there's room for compromise on many issues and I think that's there's room for compromise on this issue too I think that's it yeah I think that I is think too we'll come
1: back to it with infrastructure
0: probably right yep I think so too that's a good Mike will be crunching numbers in the meantime yep we'll get that podcast eventually have a good one Thanks for listening to Hitting the Median.